your spouse, your coworker, a friend, perhaps a stranger, just said something or did something that was harmful to you and it provoked a response from you. After you step back and you have time to kind of evaluate what you said and how you responded, this feeling of guilt and shame sweeps over you and you think, why did I say something like that? Why did I behave the way that I did? And this justifying thought creeps into our mind and that is, these words just came out of my mouth as though we are as surprised as the person we were talking to that these words existed or that they would just spring out of our mouth unaware to us at all. We step back and we justify the way that we responded to conflict because we were harmed and we were just protecting ourselves. We were just defending ourselves. And so what we said, even though it wasn't ideal, we really aren't fully responsible for them. Is that the way that we should process conflict? Is there any way to be prepared for conflict before it occurs? Are we surprised that we find ourselves at times in conflict? Well, today as we unpack what it means to prepare ourselves for conflict, we need to begin with an understanding that there is a big problem. But that problem is not the words that spring from our mouth. It's not the actions that we commit. It's something that is much bigger than that. We're going to spend time unpacking what that is today. I remember when I was in Bible college and I got in an argument with a friend and I left a voice message, which I don't often do. And to be honest, I'm not very good at listening to voice messages, but I left this voice message and in it, I just ranted and I said whatever came to my mind. And after I hung up, and this is on a cell phone, so I didn't have the enjoyment of slamming down a phone that was on the wall. But after I hit that end button, after I did that, I, I paused and I had this moment where I felt that guilt that I described in the introduction just sweep over me. And I wondered, where did that come from? I didn't think I was capable of saying words like that at this point and thinking the things that I did. Why did I express those things? I even projected hurts and feelings that I didn't even know that I felt fully until they came out of my mouth, if I'm being honest. I took a little time to process why that was and to think through that. And one day I was reading through my Bible and I came to Matthew chapter 12, verse 33, and it says this, it says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. A tree is known by its fruit. When I read that passage, it became quite obvious where the problem began. The problem, as I said again in the introduction, was not in my actions, although that was problematic and sinful, nor in my words, although they still fit into those categories as well. Instead, the problem was something much deeper. The problem was my heart. Now, this is bad news and good news. If you are someone who habitually finds yourself saying things that you wish you did not say, acting in ways that you wish you did not act according to, it's easy to say, well, I'm going to change my behavior. I'm going to find a new set of words. I am going to train myself to say things that are a little bit nicer or more flavored with grace. People are going to hear a different tone in my words. But can I tell you today that as followers of Jesus Christ, 
It isn't about just changing the words that we say and the actions we commit. The bad news is that the problem is much deeper than that. But that's the good news also. Because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you say, well, the problem is my heart, the good news is that you have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit who is transforming your heart and enabling you who are a good fruit, not a good tree, not because of your own effort or merit or anything according to, to those standards, but instead because you are in Christ Jesus, because his righteousness has become your righteousness. Because of that fact, because you are growing in sanctification, you are in, in, increasingly becoming more like Jesus Christ, you are being empowered to do that which honors and glorifies him, which means you are able to bear good fruit. And so today, as we talk about preparing for conflict, we're not talking about behavior modification. I'm not going to talk about teaching yourself to count down in some way or pause in certain ways, although people have found those practices to be helpful as a supplement. I want us to get to the heart of the issue. I want us to get to the root of the issue and begin to address that. See, when we talk about preparing for conflict, and I don't want to share any spoilers here today, but you are going to face conflict in this life. You have faced conflict. You are going to face more conflict. We live in a fallen world. We sin. We sin against other people. People sin. They sin against us. We find ourselves in tension quite often in this life. So you're going to face times like that. But as you do, I want us to prepare our hearts for an appropriate response to conflict. And I hope that you're going to see the heart addressed in a number of ways as we unpack a few passages. Uh, but just to begin, as I share those thoughts, as we pray through and as we begin to prepare our minds and our hearts for conflict, just recognizing that this problem begins there, I hope it fills your heart with hope that you can say, wait a minute, I can gain victory over this. I don't know why I say these things. I don't know why I act this way, but I can have victory over this because I am maturing as a Christian. I can have victory over this because it's not just things that I program my mind to say. It is a heart problem. I can gain victory because I have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. I really hope that you are encouraged along those lines. But if we're going to prepare our hearts for conflict— Ever before conflict even springs up, before that next moment when a difficult situation, an argument, a conflict arises, there are a few things we need to do. The first, be a maturing Christian who is focused on glorifying Christ. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the believers in Philippi, I'm going to read from the uh, last portion of the first chapter and the beginning of the second. We're going to read more of the second in just a moment. But he says, whatever happens... Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For if it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have, 
Therefore, anytime in Scripture says therefore, it's pointing back to what just happened in the context. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort of his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the Spirit and of one mind, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. And I'm going to come back to that part in just a moment. But I want us to think about this idea of being a maturing Christian who is focused on glorifying Christ. What's the goal of the Christian life? What is a win, to put it in sports terminology, for the individual believer as well as for a corporate gathering of believers? What's the goal? The goal is to glorify Jesus Christ. We call this the doxological purpose of God. All things exist, and the purpose of all things is to glorify God. That's that's why they exist. So, to glorify Him. We do that together, and we do that in a number of ways. By building up the body, by exercising our spiritual gifts together. Remember that Christ gave not just individuals gifts, but He gave gifts to the body, to the church. We exercise our gifts. We bring glory to Jesus by reaching the lost with the gospel. As people are saved, the Lord is glorified. Can I tell you today that if you're not focused on the purpose for which you've been created, you are inviting conflict? In sports uh, language, oftentimes uh, there will be a team that's struggling. They're losing a number of games, perhaps on a losing streak, and they'll be interviewed, or there will be reporters that cover the team, and all these reports of conflict begin leaking from the locker room. Oh, well, there's so much division in the locker room. It's a it's a clash of personalities, you would hear, a toxic locker room. Well, what's the problem there? That same locker room oftentimes is filled with players. Now, the, team, the roster might have changed a little bit season to season, but by and large, most of the same roster is there from the previous season, and that team might have been successful and won the previous year, And they didn't have that much conflict. At least it didn't leak out to the public. Why is that? Because the best remedy for for locker room division is winning. When people are winning, when a team is winning, when they are accomplishing the thing that they have gathered together to do, they are focused on that. They're not focused on the individual deficiencies that they have. Think about blame shifting and how that comes about. And again, using kind of a, a sports analogy there, If a team wins a football game, uh, say this upcoming weekend, if one of the football teams wins by three touchdowns and one member of that team dropped a pass, does anybody in the locker room argue with that wide receiver because he dropped a pass? No, nobody cares. Nobody even remembers it. They're too busy celebrating together, and they're looking ahead to the Super Bowl two weeks later, and so they're so excited about that. The same is true for followers of Jesus Christ. When we are not growing together, understanding that we are not called to accomplish what God has called us to do in this life as lone wolf Christians. Instead, he has called us to be part of a local assembly of believers, and we are to partner together to accomplish the purposes for which we've been created and called. If we understand that and we are striving for that common purpose and we're seeing God do exciting things through our lives, then we don't have time to dwell on those little 
uh, little things that are going to come about. There's little things that are going to annoy us about the other. The things that people might do that we might find ourselves focused on that we might start to complain about or grumble about or it might rise, uh, arise questions in our hearts and minds that would create doubt and separation between us and another believer and them for us. Instead, if we're striving in unity, we are like-minded. We're focused on the prize and we're excited about that. We're accomplishing something. To use another analogy there. If you look at a body of water that's flowing, what you're going to find is that there might be debris that finds its way into a rushing stream or a river. Sometimes we're amazed at the size of things. Uh, my family and I, we like to go hiking and look at bodies of water. We like to, to find waterfalls. That's something we enjoy doing. And sometimes you'll see kind of a big log that's fallen in the water, and it's just rushed along. It doesn't sit there. It's carried along, and it's kind of amazing how powerful water can be. But if you ever come across a body of water that isn't going anywhere, it's stagnant, what do you find? Well, it's polluted. It's polluted. Why? Because the debris that falls into it, which is inevitable, there's going to be debris. There are trees. They have leaves. They have branches. There are creatures that are roaming about. Debris is going to find itself in the water. But if the stream is not moving, if it's not going anywhere, if it's just a pool of water... That debris is going to begin to increase, and pretty soon the water is going to be filthy. Can I tell you today, if you aren't busy doing what you're supposed to be doing, you are busy allowing the pool to stagnate. If you want to prepare your heart, if you want to prepare your mind for conflict, if you want to avoid conflict, and again, to this degree in this life that we can— there is going to be debris that finds itself in the water, okay? You're going to find that there can be some conflict. But when you are striving for a common purpose with believers, if in your home with your spouse you are striving to accomplish something and your mind is on that goal, if you're in your workplace you are striving to accomplish something and your, your mind is focused on that goal, you are not allowing that debris to stagnate, to pollute the water and just sit there. It will be washed away. Can I encourage you today? Ask yourself, are we clearly communicating? Are we clearly expecting good things to happen? Are we striving for those things? The next is understand your sin weaknesses and have an accountability partner. So it's kind of a two-part one. The reason I say that, uh, and I'm going to kind of touch base with what I talked about in, in fighting temptation here for a moment, because this would be temptation uh, as well, perhaps, would be to engage in conflict. Uh, so not just conflict that happens to us, as though you know, we're just bystanders and all conflict that happens in our lives happens because of the sinful other people that God has brought across our path. You know, sometimes conflict happens because we sin and we stumble in, in many ways. And we have to own that. We have to be honest about that. Well, can I tell you that much as I said about temptation in general a few weeks ago, you know what triggers you. You know the things that are going to annoy you. You know the times when you find yourself most annoyed, when you find that you say things you wish you didn't say. Uh, you're going to find that there are temptations that you need to avoid. I know somebody who struggled with road rage so badly, knowing that, you know, if I drive down the road, I'm probably going to be giving somebody some sign language. I knew somebody who was like that. So you know what he did for a period of time? 
quit driving. He had his wife drive him pretty much everywhere. Uh, so he could avoid that and have time to grow before he would be able to resume driving because he knew this was going to be a situation that right then and there, he wasn't mature enough spiritually to answer. If you know that there is a time, if there are conditions uh, in which you respond negatively, you respond antagonistically even, or you respond in sin, there are a few things you could do. One, you can try to avoid those situations. Now, obviously, if it's a situation with your spouse, I'm not encouraging you to leave the house or leave the relationship or anything like that. You can, you can try to create distance, though. If you know, you know, we tend to argue when we're cleaning uh, up after supper, okay? That's when we tend to argue. All right, then can you structure that time in a different way? Can you take turns clean, cleaning up after supper? Can you say, look, uh, I'm just not going to argue no matter what comes to my mind because I know that these things come to my mind not ju be, just because of the sin of, of my spouse uh, or because I've had a busy day, which I allow to creep into this. I allow this whole context and these thoughts to stew in my mind, and so I respond to trivial things in a sinful way. So what I'm going to do is I might continue to go through this process and help clean up after supper. We do that together, but I am not going to say anything negative. I'm not going to allow my mind to dwell on anything negative because I know that this is uniquely where the enemy wants to attack, where I'm going to in sinfulness, I'm going to allow the day's stresses to come out here. Well, I don't have to allow the day's stresses to come out there. I don't have to project those on my wife. You don't have to project those on your husband, whatever it might be. Instead, we say, I'm going to step back. I'm going to process these things. And if I have to think through them, if I have to pray through them, I'm going to do that. But I'm not going to allow myself to argue at this point ever again or at least to the best of my ability for this season. I'm not going to allow myself to argue now. I'm not going to engage in conflict in this situation. Additionally, you know, like I said, that there are going to be some, some times where, where you find yourself uh, more annoyed, where you find yourself acting out in ways that you shouldn't. I want you to think in those moments about an accountability partner, and I have them. And I, I have encouraged you to have those. And when I say an accountability partner, I mean somebody that you can talk to and say, I, I struggle in this time of the day. I struggle in these circumstances. I struggle around this person. Hopefully your accountability partner can point you to the Word of God where there could be a passage that you can memorize that when these thoughts enter into your mind, you can be praying through them. You can be meditating on Scripture before you even get to that situation. So again, let's use that example. You know that you you process the day's stresses, the anxieties of the day, the frustrations. You have supper. Things seem good, but while you're eating, you're kind of stewing on these things, not to use a pun there. And you, uh, as you're cleaning up from supper, now all of a sudden there's this dead space in conversation, and all of a sudden you allow this anger to kind of flow out of you. you if you know that that's where it is, and whatever time of the day that might be for you, and whoever it might be who unfortunately is the recipient of your sinful responses, if you know that, then your accountability partner could be encouraging you, hey, before supper ever begins, when you get home from work, what a great time for your quiet time for prayer. What a great time to read God's Word. Prepare your mind before you even get to that situation. Also, I'm going to check back with you in the evening. I'm going to text you and say, hey, you know, you eat supper at 530. You're cleaning up from supper at 615. I'm checking up with you at 645. Quick text 
How did it go today? If I were there as your accountability partner, would I have seen anything shameful? If you acted in that way that you acted in front of your spouse, in front of your coworker, in front of your friend, if you did that in front of the church, how would people in the church view you? Would they view you any differently? If we have accountability partners that can speak into our lives, into our situations, and we can prepare our hearts and minds for action, I believe that a lot of conflict can be avoided. Along those lines, we need to be humble. In Philippians chapter 2, and I actually read a little bit more than I intended, but he says, rather in humility, value yourselves above value others above yourselves. That's that's not a good uh, blunder. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. I love when Paul does that because like if it's good enough for Jesus, it really should be good enough for you. And this is the example Jesus gave. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That is the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you humble? Do you prioritize the interests of other people? If you are somebody who demands your own way all the time, I care about my image. I care about my thoughts in in life and my accomplishments, and I care about my praise, and I, I care about people seeing and celebrating me. If that's where you are, you are going to find yourself in habitual conflict. Because you're you're divisive. You're not focused on the right thing. You're not focused on that, that healthy flowing stream of water. You're allowing the pool to be polluted because it's polluted by your own pride. Your thoughts are not on the Lord. They're not on the better of your friend, on your coworker, on whatever. The focus is not on their best interests. It's not, not about loving them. It's not about bearing their burdens. It is about you. And it is about you being valued, you having all of your rights protected, you feeling a certain way. Can I tell you that Jesus, as we examine his example, he humbled himself. He was obedient to death, even death on a cross. Are you humble? Are you creating space for other people's needs, for their interests, for their desires to be met above your own? If you find that that you are increasingly humble, then you're going to have less to find fault with somebody regarding. Like there's, there are going to be less things that you find fault in somebody else because there's nothing personal there to defend or protect of your own. Along those lines, you're going to be gentle. I believe that gentleness flows from a humble heart. A lot of times conflict happens because we dwell on the behavior on the projected behavior and thoughts that we place upon other people. We think that they are thinking something. We think that their actions intended something or they conveyed something. We dwell on those things. And what begins to creep in our mind? Well, we think, well, I wouldn't react that way. I wouldn't think these nasty things about me. I would treat me better if I were in that situation. I treat this person better. I'm above that. And so then we don't respond in gentleness. When we are gentle, when we are gracious, we see people's behaviors and we give them the benefit of the doubt. Perhaps they meant something very different. I want people to view me in that way. I want people to be gracious towards me. 
I'm going to stumble in many ways and I'm going to fall in many ways. And there are going to be things that I mix up in my words and my actions. I intend to do something, something else comes up. And unfortunately, it falls to the bottom of my schedule. And I feel bad about that when it happens. Or I just have an oversight. These these things happen. Don't I want people to be gracious towards me in those experiences and you want them to be gracious towards you as well. Can I encourage you? That if you are going to be humble, you're going to be gracious. You're not going to make assumptions about other people's thoughts and their actions. But you're going to think, especially if, if that person is somebody you're in fellowship with, you're walking that path of unity, they're a spouse, they're a friend, they're a family member, co-worker, whatever it might be, you're going to say, you know, this person really does want my best. They have my best interests in mind. I don't understand this, but I'm not going to allow myself to beat them up in my mind before I even talk to them. I'm going to prepare my mind beforehand so I don't even enter into conflict. I'm going to believe the best possible thing about them unless my hand is forced to believe something else because when I talk to them in graciousness and love and humility, they communicate that they thought something negative. But see, even if you went into it that way, the conflict that you're going to experience is going to be so much different than the conflict that you're going to find yourself in if you are not gracious, if you're not humble, if you are assuming somebody meant something different, if you're projecting yourself to be greater than them and you're protecting your own rights and your own interests. When you talk in that scenario, that conflict is going to be pretty intense. Along the lines of preparing our hearts and minds, Philippians 4 is a beautiful passage dealing with conflict. In fact, it's a unique passage in Scripture because it names believers in a local church who are in conflict. It says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yodia and I plan with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers who names, whose names are in the book of life. How much does God care about conflict in the body? He names two women. Their names were given in scripture. That's how serious conflict is in the body between two women in the church. This is not a trivial matter to the Lord. It matters. But listen to what he says next. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. That's what I was just describing here in a moment. The Lord is near. The Lord's going to see. He does see everything that's happening. If the Lord returned today, would he be pleased with your response towards other people, with your treatment towards your brother or sister in Christ? Do not be anxious about anything. We're going to revisit that in a moment. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And he continues, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Can I encourage you today? Do not stew on the deficiencies of the other person. Do not stew on the shortcomings. Do not dwell on the past hurts, the, the hurtful words they've said, the actions don't allow somebody to become a monster in your mind because you continue to dwell on all of their shortcomings and the things that annoy you. 
Have you ever had somebody that you just didn't like for one reason or another? And you didn't like them because perhaps they did something very harmful to you. But pretty soon, everything they do annoys you. Like the way they comb their hair, the way they drink their coffee is obnoxious to you, okay? Who breathes on their coffee before they take a sip? You know, just things begin to annoy you about them. Trivial things. That sounds really silly, and perhaps it is, but we've all been guilty of it. If you allow a situation to occur, something happens, and then you dwell on that, and the problem magnifies, and the deficiencies of the other person, and we're not gracious, and we're not humble, and pretty soon we have a whole narrative. They really meant to tear me down. They really meant whatever it be, something very harmful to me. They hate me. They despise me, and I don't like them either. And we allow our thoughts to go there. You are going to find yourself in serious conflict. But if you step back, you say, I'm not going to be anxious. I'm not going to be anxious about the conversation tomorrow morning. I'm not going to lie in bed tonight and dwell on this conversation and allow it become, to become this big problem. Because if I allow it to become a big problem tonight when we finally talk about it in the morning, it's going to become a nightmare. It's going to become a huge, drawn-out fight that could even lead to a separation or a break in this relationship. And that's not what I want. Instead, we allow ourselves in graciousness and humility to dwell on what is true what is lovely, what is pure. What do we know about the person that's good? Let's dwell on those things. What has Jesus done in his heart, in her heart? Let's dwell on those things. What are we trying to accomplish together? Getting back to the point of a common purpose. I want to focus on that. How can the words that I'm going to say to this person, because these conversations are not avoidable, okay? We can avoid we can avoid, to the best of our ability, devastating consequences from conversations and conflict. But we can't control sometimes the fact that we do have to address some things that are unpleasant. And sometimes there are things that need addressed and sorted through. But as a follower of Christ, if you dwell on what's our common purpose, how has God gifted this person, the other person, what has he done in their lives is true. What's true about my walk with the Lord? Do I need this other person to prop me up? Do I, do I need their approval? Do I need their acceptance? Do I need them to praise me? Do I need them to defend my rights? Do I need everybody to believe my side of the story? No. What's true? What's true is that I'm a child of God, and this is what he's doing in my life. This is what I know to be true about the situation. We dwell on those things. Our response to the other person will be seasoned with grace and with love. Two other thoughts as we uh, wind down this episode. Um, learn to forgive those who have already sinned against you, so you can forgive those who will sin against you. In Ephesians 4.32, it tells us to forgive one another, but it does so on the basis that Jesus has forgiven us. Jesus has forgiven us of far more and greater offenses than anybody is going to do to us. I, I can assure you of that. Jesus has forgiven us. If we cannot forgive people from the past who have harmed us, we shouldn't be surprised when we do not forgive people who are going to harm us in the future. And so sometimes uh, we have issues that we have carried for many years and we continue to respond in the same way because we have never come to a place in our hearts, in our walk with Christ, where these past issues have been dealt with. Can I, can I just ask you today, is there anybody outstanding in your life that you have never forgiven? Somebody you've never followed back up to? Perhaps there's somebody 
that you need to apologize to and say, I need forgiven because I sinned against you. If you want your future relationships, if you want future situations in which conflict can be devastating, if you want those to go better, can I encourage you today to make those past situations right, to lay those down at the feet of the Lord, to ask for forgiveness and to move beyond and see his healing? The final thing as we move towards closing, as we strive to avoid conflict, um, is that we need to guard our testimonies. We need to guard our testimonies. We need to make sure that even though we can't control when people are going to raise issues with us, we can do the best we can to minimize some of the damage and fallout from it. It says in First Peter, in First Peter chapter two, it says, "Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your souls. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us." What that passage tells us is that, yeah, some conflict is unavoidable. And there are going to be people who make false accusations against you. There are going to be people who believe nasty, negative things about you. And I wish I could tell you that's not the case, but it is as we walk in this fallen world. But, you know, if we want to keep those moments of conflict from getting to a point where they devastate us, where they completely rip us apart, um, if we're living lives that honor glor and glorify Jesus Christ— there are going to be people who make those accusations, but they won't stick. Yeah, there's going to be people who are gossips. There are going to be people who believe lies, but God knows the truth. And can I tell you that other people see it as well? And it may, may take time. It might take a lot of time for that to kind of flesh its way out and for people to see the, the truth. But if you're dwelling on, as Philippians 4 commanded us to do, what is true, what is lovely, what is pure, what's noble, if we're dwelling on those things, we, I, I know who I am in Christ. I'm doing my best to honor him. I'm not perfect. And I stumble. But in this situation, I really didn't say that. I really didn't act in that way. But I hand it over to you, Lord, and I just entrust it to your care. We can step back, and people might say whatever they're going to say about us. But at the end of the day, over time, people are going to see your consistency of character and they're going to want to find peace with you. They're going, I believe, and I say this as a proverb, not as a promise. A proverb, by the way, is just an overarching principle. It's kind of an axiom, which is generally true of people. It's a general response of people, not a promise that every single, in every single case, this is going to work out a certain way. But can I tell you that over time, people are going to see that. They're going to want to know what your God is like. How can you live in such a way? How can you be steady and faithful? How can you be forgiving of me when I've done so many nasty things to you? When people see our response, it undermines future attacks. It undermines the future attempts of the enemy to rob us of joy and peace. Um, instead, it causes them to see our Father in heaven and to want to worship him as well. Conflict is, in, is inevitable in this wor world, but so is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit for the believer the hope that our hearts can be transformed. We don't have to respond to conflict in sinful ways. We don't have to be surprised by it. We can prepare our hearts and minds for it so that we can respond to it in an appropriate way, in a way that will honor and glorify Jesus, in a way that will result in reconciliation between us and the other, even in cases when we have to talk about things that are uncomfortable. I hope that's encouraging to you. I hope it gives you sort of ammunition uh, to prepare your mind and your heart uh, so that you can avoid some of these more devastating uh, consequences of conflict. But above all, I hope you leave here today encouraged 
that you don't have to act in a sinful way. You don't have to respond in like ways that others respond to you. You can respond in a way that glorifies your Father in heaven. I hope you have a blessed day. 